Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I think it's amazing because I love doing this and I always have such incredible guests that willingly show up and share their time and their wisdom with us. And today is no exception to that. We have Lauren Walker joining us. She has a new book out called The Energy to Heal, Find Lasting Freedom from Stress and Trauma Through Energy Medicine Yoga. Lauren has been teaching yoga and meditation since 1997 and created energy medicine yoga while teaching at Norwich or Norwich, Norwich or Norwich, How do you Norwich, Norwich. Thank you. <laughs> and that's Lauren. There's her beautiful face. Um, so this is the oldest private military college in the country. She now teaches M yoga, EM yoga across the US and internationally. She is frequently quoted and cited as an expert in Yoga Journal, Mantra Magazine, and Yoga Digest, and a feature article about her yoga work was published in the New York Times. A little round of applause. That's really, these are great accolades. Her two previous books, The Energy Medicine Yoga Prescription and Energy Medicine Yoga, Amplify the Healing Power of Your Yoga Practice, both won the Nautilus Silver Award for Best Mind-Body Publication. In 2016, she was named one of the top 100 most influential yoga teachers in America. So Lauren, whew, I'm, I'm standing at the foot of a, an amazing um, yoga giant. Welcome to the show. <laughs> How are you oh, doing thank today? You. Thank you, Tessa. Thank you for having me. Uh, I don't think you're standing at the, at the feet of, we're sitting side by side, shoulder to shoulder. And I say that because I think it's really important in the yoga world and in the spiritual world today that we stop looking to these, uh, triangle paradigms of teaching top down and we start to have these more holistic teachings and um, so that's really important to me and, and in the community that I've created of EM yoga teachers and students is that we're all here together supporting each other so um, so thank you for supporting me and and I'm really grateful to be able to support you back and so it's a really pleasure to be here oh, likewise I feel so honored thank you for saying that I think that's a really important topic and I think we should discuss it a little bit more, especially having studied the practice of yoga through a lineage based lens um, and thinking about all of the teachers, teachers, teachers and the teachers of the teachers, teachers that ha have come before me and the idea that um, I often think of the Upanishads, which I've learned was is a way to say to sit next to and I think of like sit at the foot of the teachers that have something to teach us um and at, in my understanding that is a um auditory uh practice historically so you would actually sit with your teacher and they would tell you what you needed to know it wasn't like something that was transcribed in a book in terms of this idea of the Upanishads um, and so in that way, knowledge was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And you're right, it is time for a paradigm shift. And so uh, I guess where I want it, there's so many different directions we can go with this, right? But what I'm wondering first is in your study and yeah, in your study of yoga, um, what was that like for you? Did it feel like a, a very triangle approach? Did you have a more shoulder to shoulder approach in, in your studying of yoga under a teacher? 
Um, okay, well, let's just go there <laughs> because um, <laughs> I, I'm not familiar with the lineages that you that you studied in, but I'd love to I'd love to know. Um, for me personally, I studied in three uh, separate traditions, all of them led by men, mm-hmm. and all of them um, at some point or another in that lineage. I'm trying to think of the right word. Suffered isn't the right word. I can't think of the right word. Embroiled in sexual scandals, sexual mm-hmm. abuse scandals. Yeah. Big ones, major, culpable, horrible, awful. And these were these teaching lineages, lines of teaching from these ancient male to male to male to male to male. So I have a few issues with that. The first is these lineage holders were actually doing exactly what a tradition that's handed down the teachings over and over. They did the teachings exactly how they were taught to them, um, which is included that sexual abuse and sexual harassment and um, taking no uh, accountability for that as well, especially the more recent ones. And so when I inquired about some of these older aspects or older events that had happened in these lineages, I was told, love the teachings, not the teacher. But I find that really difficult in the yoga world where as a teacher, you are also modeling. I mean, literally up at the front of the class, you're modeling poses, but you're also modeling behavior. Talked about the Upanishads. Well, we read all kinds of philosophies and treatises on how to be in the world. That is a huge part of the yoga tradition, the yamas and niyamas, which are kind of like the yoga commandments, right, mm-hmm. are very clear. We're, and as a teacher, you're teaching your students how to be in the world. And if you are not upholding those principles, that is a, a real challenge. And so I, what I see is there's a lot of, I've been sort of calling it snake oil salesmen, but people taking advantage of people in the spiritual world. Let's be honest, the people and the students that come to yoga classes and come to you as a student are in need. Many of them are in pain and suffering and struggling. Many of them have trauma. Many of the people in the world have trauma, have incredible stresses in their lives. And they come to a yoga class wanting and needing support to be held, to be guided, to be taught. And if you go in there exploiting for money, ego, your own personal gain, ignoring your own faults, being duplicitous, being... Um, hypocritical, that is not a good look. Mm -hmm. And it does an incredible damage and disservice to the yoga world as a whole and to the individual students that you are harming. When I found um, Donna Eden, my teacher of the Eden Method, Eden Energy Medicine, I found a woman lineage holder. Now she would never describe herself of that, but that's exactly what she is, a woman lineage holder. And I started to see what it would be like to model a spiritual community creating a new lineage based on this holistic feminine divine, which does not 
deny the masculine divine it actually brings them together in this divine union divine marriage which is what we need on the planet right now whereas the masculine lineages sort of sweep the divine feminine away unless they're doing some kind of festival or celebration or whatever but they don't really want the big Kali energy to come on and be like hey dude stop that behavior you know but in this in the divine feminine tradition it's really an honoring of both and I and I learned through modeling through seeing um, a, a leader of a community how it could be done and so um, it, yeah it's just really it's really important to be authentic and in in full integrity and acknowledge your faults and limitations as just a person on the path i'm not a guru i'm not endowed with any anything other than any every other person is endowed with which is an a, a mind a body a spirit a curiosity a heart that i want to open and encompass as much as i can and that's the place that i that i come to teach from so i think we're at a, an important place in the yoga world and the spiritual world as a whole where it's really time for some of these shifts um, to happen, it's important that they happen, that accountability is met, and um, that these people that are really hurting people in the spiritual world are are stopped from teaching and from that, and, and rehabilitated themselves, because I believe that that's possible, but not until accountability and acknowledgement happens. Yeah. So it's kind of a big, deep, conversation about all of this. Yeah, it sure is. I want to pull on that thread just a little bit longer. Um, I certainly have many other topics that I want to discuss with you, but I think this is, it's important to understand how do we move forward? How do we not throw the baby out with the bathwater? How do we keep the teachings um, and the content of the lineage, if that's important, I guess I'm wondering is does does this, in your opinion, does it negate the teachings, all of the trauma and the the relative patriarchy of how the yoga tradition has been passed down? You know, I mean, I, you're you're speaking to it already in terms of your experience with um, a female, a woman lineage, right? How do, how do, what does that look like for you? How did, how you learned how to create that space for yourself, for your community? Um, is there anything else when you think about how to move away from the trauma or not necessarily move away from the trauma, because I don't want it to, to sound like it's something that we push down and we ignore. It's something that needs to be examined and talked about and brought into the light of day. Absolutely. But I guess I'm wondering, I always kind of have this existential conversation with myself in the same way that you're talking about it in terms of what does that mean for the content that is historical? You know, I think there's a few things in that. One is that the teachings are the teachings. They are incredible and incredibly powerful. And anyone who studied yoga, any, any tradition of yoga, I mean, that's why yoga is so huge now, right? Because the teachings are powerful. So that is the, the most important thing. There, and then there's a couple other threads in that. If you have gotten a teaching that was powerful, but you got it from a source that was, let's just say difficult, mm -hmm. then you might need to unpack and separate those two pieces. And if you had uh, if you actually really suffered directly some some abuse um, from a teacher, 
then that can be really hard to do, right? Because you go to this teacher vulnerable and they take advantage of your vulnerability. So how do you, how do you find that place where, okay, what they taught me was really good, but the methodology was really whack, right? So that's a, that's a, a difficult one to parse. And again, yoga is a 5,000 year old tradition, but originally it was a very exclusive tradition. It was only taught one teacher to one student. It was only taught to men. I mean, there's a lot of things um, in the tradition that I don't think we do want to move forward with, right? And so it's sort of, it's not throwing out the baby with the bathwater, but it's becoming very discerning, which is again, another yogic principle. How do you discern what is of value to you and what needs to be thrown away? And and I do think that there is a lot of trauma that has unfortunately been visited onto the yoga community. Let's just stay with our you know, framework here. There's a lot of trauma in the world, but just we're talking about yoga in the, at the moment. There's a lot of trauma that has been visited on the yoga community. And so I think, firstly, we need to deal with that. We need to be able to deal with the energy of trauma, which is kind of what I do. That's one of the main things that I do. How do we release these traumatic energies, release the imprints of those from the body, mind, spirit, so that we can come into healing and come into our own um, best life, our own integrity, our own truth, our own joy, happiness, peace, all of those things. And then, or at the same time, I do believe there needs to be this accountability. However, the people that are perpetrating these things, events, they're not holding themselves accountable and there really is no mechanism in the yoga world to hold them accountable. I mean, there are things that if uh, a therapist had done them, they would completely lose their license and X, Y, and Z, but a yoga teacher does them and there's no overarching, um, you know, disciplinary body that is going to do anything about that. And they move on and they get new students and the old students don't want to say anything about it because they don't want to risk getting all the things that could, you know, happen. People are getting bullied on social media. They're getting bullied by these teachers. I mean, it, it, you know, it's not, it's not easy to come up and stand up and say your truth in any circumstance. And so most of the people that have been hurt and traumatized are sort of, I'm going another direction and these teachers continue to teach. So I don't really know the answer to that. I've actually been having some conversations behind the scenes with other teachers and other students. Is there, what, what is there to be done? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. It's a, it's a real question. And it, it, it does have larger world implications as well, because how do we do that in any situation where people are acting in ways that are destructive to the whole, and yet they're still allowed to continue those actions without any accountability or not even like no one's saying no. Again, the big collie, like that's what we need in the world right now. Like it's obvious the things that are wrong that people are doing that are wrong. It is so obvious to all of us and yet no one is stopping them. Nothing is stopping them. So what do we do? And that is a crucial question that we're at at this point in history, not only in the spiritual and the yoga community, but in the world at large. How do we rein in these forces that are so negative and destructive? Um, and at the same time, understanding that their impetus for their negative negativity and destruction comes from their own trauma, right? So there's the other piece of that. These people are traumatized mm -hmm. and they need help, 
but they don't need to be in positions or they should not be in positions of power. They should be in um, being bundled up and held at, you know, at a retreat center where they get good food and therapy and yoga and, you know, all of these things that we know that can help them to release their trauma so that they stop um, these negative and difficult and really awful abusive behaviors. That's a big, huge issue in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. I often think about the argument of uh, pulling on that thread a little bit of the the person who is um, inflicting the trauma behavior on someone else, a community, um, is traumatized themselves, has experienced that or learned that behavior somewhere along the way. And um, like, for example, you're passing, maybe you're sitting at a stoplight, there's to the left someone begging for food and, um, you know, they appear homeless. And there's the argument that, you know, we're only, we're all in this together. You roll down your window, you help this person out, you give them money, you give them food if you have it. Um, and or there's the argument that you, if you do that, you're per, pep, uh, <laughs> tongue tied here, you're, um, perpetuating the cycle of like this person gets to do that because we um, allow it, I guess, societally, which I'm not saying that I agree with that mindset. I am a person who, if I have cash in my wallet, if I have extra food, I will give it freely. All I'm saying is like, it seems to be that there's these two arguments to how do we deal with this situation that needs to be addressed um that seem dichotomous and i'm not i'm also not saying maybe the homeless person isn't the best example because i'm not saying that that person deserves to be in that situation or that they willingly put themselves in that situation i'm not saying that at all um i think there's so many different circumstances that people fall in hardship and it's so easy especially in our country um, where there are no guardrails on like, um, it, it's like a, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck because of the system, right? So I'm not trying to point blame on anyone who finds themselves falling on really, really hard times and coming into a very traumatic and survival mode situation. What I guess I'm wondering is, is, is that the answer to maybe a better example is like um an eye for an eye um someone on death row for being charged with murder right and it sounds to me like what you're saying is okay well that person who committed this crime learned that behavior from somewhere and as a result of that acted out in a way that they thought was justified perhaps how uh, however unjustifiable it was and we as a society have these rules in place about, you know, the sacredity of life and um, what do we do when, when someone violates that? How do we react as a society? I don't know if there's a question in there. There's a, a lot of meat in a lot of what you said. Um, there's a few thoughts that just kick, have been coming up when you're, when you're talking and yes. there's a lot of different issues there. So, you know, let's go back to the homeless person you giving twenty dollars and your bag lunch to a homeless person is not going to make homelessness continue nor is it going to provide this person a home 
But what you are doing is a compassionate act. Someone who is in need, you have more, you can give, and you help somebody that's in need. If you're walking down the street and you see somebody crumpled onto the ground, you know, clutching their knee and blood running out of their knee, you're not going to just walk away and be like, hope that guy's okay, right? Most people are going to go over and say, are, are you okay? What happened? I, I have some, you know, band-aids in my purse or let me call someone for you, right? We want to help. That's what human beings, we, we are driven to do that. I think part of the issue that you're bringing up there is similar to, um, let's, uh, the, uh, uh, for climate change, right? Everybody, you're drinking out of a plastic straw. Climate change is your fault and stop plastic straws. Okay, what that does is that puts on you uh, guilt, shame, personal responsibility. I am responsible for climate change and what am I gonna do about it? When really what that does is, um, disseminate no that's not the right word it kind of puts the problem on you as somebody that possibly could solve the problem when you not using a straw is not going to solve climate change but they deflect the people that are in power that actually have the possibility of changing the climate direction which is probably like 10 companies in the world mm -hmm. if we got 10 companies in the world to actually give a am i allowed to swear on this yeah. show Give a fuck. If we got these 10 companies <laughs> in the world got to give a shit about the climate, it yeah. would change like that. And then straws, no straws, irrelevant, because there are systems that can take plastic and turn it into all kinds of things. We know those. How come those aren't being elevated? So it really is um, a way of disempowering us and making us feel guilty and shameful for things that these 10, maybe let's call it 20, we'll spread it around a little, these 10 or 20 companies, um, are really the ones responsible for. I mean, you can watch all of the shows that you want about, you know, how the plastics industry, you know, convinced us all that they were going to recycle and gave us all these different numbers and separate every freaking thing on the planet and they don't do anything with it. They throw it into the landfill, right? So is that on us? We have been doing our part. And the same thing with homelessness, like you talked about this safety net that we do not have in this country and people working paycheck, paycheck to paycheck and we don't have adequate mental health services and we don't have adequate child care services and we don't have adequate food shortage services like we don't have things in place that would actually prevent homelessness paycheck security um sick leave all of these things that would uh, affordable housing you know all of these things that would help uh, my giving a sandwich to a homeless person isn't perpetuating that these are decisions that come from the top down but can be affected from the bottom up if enough of us rise up and say look this is not the world we want to live in but then we come down to well, how is that gonna you know you look at other countries that have bigger safety nets well they also have higher taxes and then you look at this country and the politicians swear and promise on you know the lives of everyone in their family that they will never raise taxes and and so then we get this kind of confusion about what actually can be done what actually can be accomplished where is money going and these are high level conversations and unless you get involved in politics or um critical studies and you know journalism then it's really hard to influence these policy decisions at that highest level when you talk about incarceration for um murder okay now we're talking about a whole different thing and 
it goes right back to this root of my book, which is hurt people hurt people. There are studies after study after study that if you are abused, if you have experienced trauma situations, um, adverse childhood uh, um, experiences, all these kind of things, you are more likely to perpetuate those in your life. Abuse, drug abuse, alcohol abuse on yourself or on others, violence, crime, that is just the documented science. So this hypothetical person that killed somebody, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about our justice system and our incarceration system and what it actually does. And I'd, I'd love to have that conversation because I have a brother who's incarcerated and it's awful what is happening. Um, and I actually am starting to write letters and because I, I can't believe our justice system is so unjust. However, at the root, we need to start to understand and heal, understand first before we can heal the trauma that is endemic in our society, in our country, in our very history, in the roots of how this country was founded is based on trauma. Mm. And so until we look at that and start to grapple with that, and yes, start to heal that, all of the rest of these questions are kind of, you know, it's like the symptoms of the disease. The disease is trauma and the symptoms is homelessness and addiction and incarceration and climate disaster and political unrest and political disaster. All of these, in my opinion, are symptoms of unbelievably astronomical rates of, of trauma. Mm. Yeah. So this, this thread has me, you brought it back to, you know, the book, the energy to heal. And I think that's an important turn to make to to or a return to the self and why it is that we have this practice of yoga, right to, you know, it depends on what your motivation or your intention is. But for me, it's always been to become self actualized to um, achieve my highest potential to fulfill my duty to acknowledge what that is. And um, it feels to me like that's where that systemic change is supposed to start according to the teachings of yoga, that we can sit here in our relative safety and ask ourselves all day long, why me? Why am I the lucky one when over anywhere, maybe the next neighborhood over, people are fighting for their lives. They're fighting to survive. Um, and, and so... I don't know if that's such a helpful question. I, I certainly think it's it's good to be aware of it. It's good to be aware of your own privilege and, but also not to, you brought this up to shame ourselves for our our position in, and you weren't speaking of it in this way, I don't think, but it, it brings it back to, okay, so why do we have this practice of yoga? Why do we do it? And um, I often grapple with that question of, why am I one of the lucky ones then? Is, does that mean something about me and my purpose? Does it mean I shouldn't be practicing this? Does it mean that I should feel a certain kind of way? Where am I going with this? Again, Lauren, help me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that you bring up some really difficult and honest and truths. And I appreciate you um, being open to that and being open to going into that vulnerability 
place. Look, we're too, um, I, I don't know your financial position, but I'm just going to throw this out there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but we are two um, middle class white women, right? We are in an incredibly privileged position. And not to acknowledge that, I think, is uh, is part of the problem, right? We, we can't ignore that. And I try to always to own that. I, I, I get that. I, I, I know the demographic that I'm in. I know where I stand as a woman that is also, um, you know, you look at the dynamic and you, we know how much women are undervalued and underpaid and underrepresented and all of that. So I'm in that demographic as a woman that I'm, you know, not as privileged. And then as a white woman with financial means, I understand massively my privilege. So there's a few things to unpack in that. The first, you know, the whys. I mean, that's the question everybody has about everything. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I just don't think that there's an answer. And I've really done a lot of studies and I'm sure you have as well about, you know, past lives and karma and all of that sort of thing. I don't think those are answerable questions where we sit in today's world and in our ability to really tap into um, the information that we all have, right? There is no why. Why Why are, were we born into this privilege? But it's also the same with, you know, why did I get cancer and not you? Or why did I get in that car wreck and lose my leg and not you? Or why, you know, like those kind of questions. Why, though those two things aren't true for me, but you know, why did my father die at 49 years old, depriving me my whole life of a father? Like, you know, that's a, that, that's a shitty thing. And there's no answer to that. There's no like, I was a good person in this life, so these things shouldn't happen. Or, you know, I have some divine purpose to do and that's why I was given this skin color and this gender and this amount of money, you know. I don't think those are questions that really we can answer. And so, not that they're not valuable questions, but really then we go to the more valuable, the more potent questions for us is, okay, this is where I am. What do I do with this? How do I move forward? And if you are studying yoga and we all come to yoga for different reasons. Like a lot of people start into the yoga world for the physical. That's the sort of the gateway drug, right? Is you come in from the physical and then you see this whole world. And so whatever drew you to it, you're going to have some kind of transformative experience with it. And if you continue on the path and continue opening up, like you said, to your layers of self-understanding, svadhyaya, who who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? More than use the word duty, but more like, what is my purpose? What is my gift that I can bring out? And are those gifts, do I even know what they are? Or are they so muddled under my traumas and my stresses and all of that, that I can't even find them yet? And that's what I want to do in this life. What is my purpose? What is my light? What do I have to clear off so that I can access that? And then for me, one of my gifts is helping other people to do that. Mm-hmm. And so how can I deploy that gift in my life? And at that point is when I can break out of my box, which is like we said, that white middle-class woman and speak to other people where we have crossovers, mm-hmm. stress, trauma, early childhood, you know, adverse childhood experiences like that. None of those are limited by gender, by skin color, by financial, you know, means or lack thereof, or where you live in the world. And so that's where I can 
start to make changes and help other people as a fulfillment of my dharma. So instead of denying the assets that I have, how do I deploy those assets in the best way? And I think really that that, for me, is a more helpful reframing. You know, and I talk a lot about wanting to meet Elon Musk or um, uh, Jeff Bezos because they have incredible amounts of power. And my feeling is that if I could just get them to do a little svadhyaya, a little understanding of who they are, not who they are in the world, but who they are, then they would deploy their massive resources to good ends. Like imagine if Amazon, which disrupted so many different um, things in our society, could disrupt the things that need to be disrupted. Mm. Like, wouldn't that be amazing if all of a sudden Amazon came in and said, okay, here's how we're going to do healthcare. We're actually going to do healthcare. We're going to, you know, imagine if Amazon got into that game or climate change. Amazon decided all of a sudden that they were going to heal the world and reverse climate change, not just stop it but reverse it, that would be amazing. These, so, you know, wherever you are in the world, once you turn your awareness on more, then you can have huge effects no matter, you know, your position anywhere. And then you look again, like someone like Gandhi, who didn't have billions of dollars or, you know, even social media, imagine that. And he started a revolution. And so, you know, we all have a purpose. And for some of us, that is simply raising a family and keeping food on the table and keeping yourself together and making sure that your children get the support and the structure and the love that they need so that they can grow up healthy and, and sane. Raising kids in today's world is a huge challenge. So I kind of feel like I forgot your question. I'm sorry. I sort of... And I don't, I didn't even ask one. I kind of did the same thing, but I'm glad you picked that thread up and went with it. And you said something key that I want to pull on as it relates to the work that you do, the energy to heal, which is, I think that I actually do have a specific question here. So I, th I think you said something along the lines of if we're buried under the weight of our trauma, can we get to our purpose? Can we ask, can we slow down enough to ask ourselves these questions of, what is my purpose? Why am I here? Um, I'm wondering, you know, is that possible? You know, if we're in survival mode all the time, when is it that we're going to have a time to sit and think about why am I here? Um, or is that even relevant to, to someone in that situation? So how, how can we apply this to that mm. situation? Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really pertinent question because that's where the privilege comes in, right? We can sit here and say, what's my purpose today? Let me go. I'm going to make my turmeric chai organic tea with my organic almond milk. And I'm going to sit in the window seat and look out at the beautiful woods. Oh, look, there's a deer. Oh, the bunnies are jumping with my dog. And I'm going to drink my tea with my journal. And I'm going to try to come into what is my purpose? And I, I know I'm kind of being a little, you know, taking the piss out of myself because being able to sit down with a cup of tea in your window seat and your dog is incredibly privileged. 
it's important to find out what your purpose is, but it's also important to acknowledge that what you just said, you don't have the luxury of discovering what your purpose is if you can't make ends meet, if you don't have a place to live, if you're that homeless person on the side of the street, or um, if you're sick with some you know, ailment and you don't have enough money for healthcare and you've got children that you don't have the time or the energy or the financial means to support. So more than what is my purpose, I think we've got to take a step back and really help people to get out of their stress and trauma responses because that doesn't take a lot of i'm going to say this okay then we're going to have to unpack this but i'm going to say this it doesn't take a lot a ton of time money energy it takes a desire healing takes the desire to want to heal and it definitely takes a commitment but it's it is doable and this is the whole um, reason for this book is that you don't have to live with your trauma. You don't have to live with your stress, no matter what it is. The biggest traumas that you can imagine, people are resolving and healing and releasing with this work. Mm-hmm. And when you can overcome those issues, when you can start to own your own emotional responses and come out of the weight that these traumas put on us and this stress puts on us, diminishing us in every area of our lives, then you can start to ask those other questions. Because then when those traumas and stresses start to resolve, a lot of the other things that in your life will also start to resolve. And so things start to get easier. And it's only when you've got that little bit of space and that little bit of separation from survival right if we're in survival that's all we're in you cannot do anything else if you're in survival that is the nature of survival and there's a lot of us that live 24 7 in survival so to say to them let's sit and talk about your purpose is i mean just not even a question i would ever say it's not even a conversation worth having the first question i would say is how are you doing where are your stresses where is your trauma showing up? Sleep, digestion, relationships, your work life, do you have pain in the body, physical, mental, spiritual? Let's work with that. And then uh, over time, when you are starting to feel that release and that freedom and that opening up, then you're gonna start to ask those questions. Huh, I've healed this amazing thing. That lights me up in a way that now I can do this, that, that. I remember, I loved drawing as a kid. I want to take my art up again. Or when did I stop singing? Or how come I stopped going to that dance class? Or why don't I want to take the kids to the beach? I used to love going to the beach. Then you have a little space to see some of the joys and the loves. And it's those joys and loves that speak to our purpose. But the purpose It's like, that's, I don't know, that almost feels like a privileged word even to use. I think it's more like, what is my light? Where are my joys? Where can I, you know, create more space around those? And that comes from how do I get out of being squished by these burdens that I've been dragging around with, with no tools to deal with because our society doesn't give tools at any age for, I mean, Gosh, imagine if when we were in grammar school, we learned how to deal with our emotions. Right, yes. 
Right? Like, doesn't the Dalai Lama say if everyone learned to meditate, there would be world peace in seven years? Every child, excuse me, if every child learned to meditate, there would be world peace. I've said seven years, but I don't I think it's actually, he says in his quote, it might be sooner. I have to look for that quote. Point being, we don't learn these skills at an early enough age, and most of us don't learn them at all in our lifetimes. And that is a real travesty and a real missing opportunity for us in the evolution of the world. And part of my dharma, my purpose, that I'm now able to see and deploy because I have dealt with my traumas and my stresses is to get this work to the forefront of the work being done in the world right now because, because I think it's so important. I, I can't say it enough. I think healing our trauma is the most important work that we have to do on the planet today. And all of the other most important things are going to find more useful resolution when those of us on both sides of every divide, on both sides of every discussion and argument and fight even, if we dealt with our traumas and we came to the table again, gosh, I guarantee you those conversations would be wildly different than they are now in every theater of conversation that we're talking about. Lauren, I have a million questions as follow-up. Uh, I'm writing them down. <laughs> I'm going to go one by one. <laughs> um, okay, so at the beginning of this particular uh, subject, I think I heard you saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but he healing the desire, uh, to heal, it takes the desire. It doesn't necessarily take a tremendous amount of time or even a tremendous amount of effort. Okay. Now I am going to read you something from my book. Let's see if I can find Thank it right you. here. Mm -hmm. So here's what I want to say. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Is this the one that I... I thought I had it pulled up because I wanted to read it. Take okay, here it time. is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you have a physical issue in the body, well, we could talk about the desire to heal that as well, but generally, and that's a whole other conversation. Okay. So we can have that someday, but generally, you know, if you, um, I'll just give a simple example. You get a cut on your finger. That's going to heal whether you want it to heal or not, right? You don't look at that and you're like, heal, right? Or say like, <laughs> I don't want you to heal. I'm going to use my mind to make you not heal. That's going to heal, right? You're because your body is programmed to heal. Mm -hmm. So now we extrapolate that out larger. Your body is programmed to heal. So then the question is, well, why doesn't it heal? Why doesn't it heal? If your body's programmed to heal, we know every day we're flooded with cancer cells. And every day, if you have a strong immune system, you delete all those cancer cells. Well, what about the people who don't? Don't delete those cancer cells and they grow and they metastasize. Why is that? So there's, you know, healing is a, a wide and varied thing. But when we're talking about healing trauma and stress, the emotional component of it cannot be stated enough, cannot be overstated. Because here, I'm going to read you two things. This is um, a description of healing trauma that uh, comes from um, integrated physical therapy and wellness, uh, a group down in Florida, that I thought was so powerful that I quoted it in my book. Emotions are the vehicles the body relies on to find balance after a trauma. A stressor that is too much for a person to handle overloads the nervous system, stopping the trauma from processing. 
Okay, so that's what a trauma is. It's too much to process. This overload halts the body in its instinctive fight or flight response, causing the traumatic energy to be stored in the surrounding muscles, organs, and connective tissue. The predictable effect of stored trauma is degeneration and disease. All the science is out now. Trauma, stress causes disease in the body. Recovering from trauma is the process of the body finding balance and freeing itself from constraints. So when we're talking about trauma and stress beyond the physical traumas that happen to the body, the cut finger, the car wreck, those kind of things, we mostly are talking about the emotional responses and the continuation and deterioration of those emotional responses, those fixed responses that we have that is the hallmark of PTSD. And so that is when you need to have the desire to heal because that kind of healing will not happen on its own. It will not happen on its own. And it also needs to happen by moving the body because what I just read you there, trauma lodges in the body. Emotional trauma lodges in the body. Spiritual trauma lodges in the body and obviously physical trauma lodges in the body. So here's what I have to say about healing. Healing takes time. So when you asked that question before and you said it can happen very quickly, it can happen very quickly and it also unpacks over time. And that really depends on what you are trying to heal, what kind of trauma, how deep it is, how long it's been there without you looking at it. It's sort of like any physical thing. If you go to the PT soon after you hurt yourself, you can heal and resolve that very quickly. But if you wait two months, three months, a year, two years, and then you go and you're like, oh, my neck has been hurting for two years. And the lady's like, dude, why didn't you come in here two years ago? You're like, I don't know, I thought it'd be okay. And then it's gonna take the PT and you a lot longer to heal that because now you've perpetuated these negative patterns of compensation. We understand that on a physical level, but I want you to understand that on an emotional level. We perpetuate negative patterns of compensation okay so it takes time you must have the desire to heal you must learn to be deeply nurturing with yourself you must learn to be gentle and forgiving with yourself so all of these are sort of the the gates to getting in and once you can pass those gates the healing your body really does want to heal. It is programmed to heal. It wants to heal. And the more opportunities and tools that you give it, the faster and more holistically it will heal. And the reason why my work is so powerful and is proven, the reason I can say that and not sound like a total doofus being like, my work is so powerful. It is so powerful. It works, and I can say that because I see the testimonials over and over and over again. You can go on Amazon and look at the testimonials. I read them and I'm like, wow, what? That's incredible. Why? Because if you speak to your body, mind, and spirit in the language that your body, mind, and spirit speaks, which is energy, everything happens in a greater ease than you ever imagined possible. And that language of energy and how to deploy it to support you is essentially the work of EM yoga. 
I want to ask a specific question about the the five E star. Uh, it's my understanding that it's based on Chinese medicine's five element theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, would you talk to me a little bit? I think you go into it in the book, right? Will you talk to me a little bit more about that? Absolutely, yeah. And I do. I break it down in in this book really well easily so that you can understand because it's a massive topic. So it's basically a taxonomy of everything. Everything on the planet, the stars, the planets, this, the earth, everything on the earth, the rivers, the trees, the animals, you, your emotions, every experience, every uh, seasonal transition, everything falls into one of five categories. So it takes this massiveness of the world and breaks it down into very simple areas. The reason that I love it and have used it now, this is the second book that is used is through that lens of the five elements. In this one, it's about healing trauma and stress. The reason that's so important is in five element theory, we have a way of actively understanding and working with our emotional body, specific emotional components. There's no other yoga practice that I'm aware of that does that. We talk about in yoga classes, you know, you have an emotional release, right? You might cry in a hip opener. I can't tell you how many times I've heard, like, that's the, the hallmark, right? Yeah. And that is something going on there. You're opening up tissues. We just read about that things get stuck in the tissues. We can talk about why it happens in hip openers and why tears are the experience. But that's just one little piece. That's a one teary emotional release. Mm-hmm. But all of your emotions affect different areas of the body, different tissues, different organ structures. Um, different uh, expressions out in the world. And so to be able to work with your whole emotional body in a very specific and guided and directed way is very grounding and gratifying for people that are sort of flailing around and aren't finding um, the really directed tools that they're needing. And, And a lot of that is around emotion. So unprocessed emotion, number one cause of stress in the body. Stress, number one cause of disease in the body. Unprocessed emotion, number one cause of disease in the body. We all can benefit very much from talk therapy, but you cannot talk yourself out of your stress and you cannot talk yourself out of your trauma. It is in the body and you need to work that out of the body. And more and more that science is supporting that. Bessel van der Kolk, the number one trauma specialist in the country says, Forget everything I've ever written and talked about. Go move your body. Go do yoga. Go do energy medicine yoga. He hasn't said that piece, but he'll say it soon because energy medicine yoga is really that connective link between I'm an emotional basket case and I don't know what to do about it and I'm hijacked by my emotions 24-7. We are emotional beings. I mean, that is how we are led to do anything. It's always an emotional plea. Every, think of every commercial that has you sobbing or I need that. Why do I need that? Because I want to look like that or feel like that or think like that or walk like that or drive like that. That's an emotional desire. You go see a film and you're like puddled in tears or you say, I was emotionally manipulated there. Or, you know, you, you fall in love. That's an emotion leading you towards one specific person out of all the billions of people one person that you would do anything for, that's an emotional response. So if you don't have ownership over your emotions, ways to work with them, 
I mean, how many of us have been in relationships that are not emotionally satisfying, that might verge on a little bit of abusiveness, but you stay in them because you're getting all of maybe these other things, or your emotional mirror is so clouded that that abuse reads to you as love. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying that from a very a practiced standpoint. I've been in that relationship. And I look back now, I'm like, how did I not see that because I didn't have clarity of my emotions and I didn't have ownership over my emotions. I didn't know how to recognize them, how to get the information that they were trying to give me, how to release the energy of them, how not to be manipulated by the emotional pleas of every advertiser on the planet, every politician looking for your vote. Everybody is pleading to your emotions. And so if you own your emotions and you know how to work with them, you are so much more powerful in your life. I, I, I'm having an emotional reaction right now. It's interesting to sit here and kind of observe what you're saying. It feels like um, inspiration. I don't know if necessarily considered an emotion, but I'm feeling this level of excitement um, in my body. So it's, it's interesting as I'm listening to you talk to experience that flood of energy. <laughs> um, well, so since you use the word in inspiration, I want to say that one of, so each of these five elements has um, a, a peak emotion, uh -huh. both on the challenging side and on the um, balancing side. And the third element, which is the fire element, which is just to give you a brief little, you know, it's like the life of the party, the, the person that brings the sparkler that's like three in the morning, let's go skinny dipping. The person that's always there though, like at four in the morning, they're like, let's keep going. You're like, I think I'm ready to go to sleep now, right? So that's can be kind of an imbalance, can be a little manic, but also extremely um, exciting. That element, the out of balance emotion is anxiety, which you can see when I'm talking about that sort of mania going anxious, anxiety all over the place. I don't know where to turn to next, what to worry about next, what to look at next. The balancing emotion of that is inspiration. So you, what inspires me? What, what am I going to, what thread am I going to lead down that takes all of that fuzzy noise about the anxiety and pours it into a through line of action based on that inspiration. So mm. yes, it's an emotion. Thank you. I uh, love that response. I appreciate your following up on that. I want to be mindful of your time. I cannot believe it's already been an hour. What this means to me is that if you would oblige, I would love to do a round two because there's, I have a list that I have not even gotten like even a quarter of the way through. <laughs> um, so I'd love to just ask a final question. And that is, what is it that you hope your, um, your listeners, your audience, our audience that we have co-created together today takes away from this conversation and um, in picking up the book takes away from the book? So my real hope is that this book gets in as many hands as possible that it can help. And so if you buy the book, buy another and give it to somebody who needs it, who might not have heard of it, who might not know what this work is. And once you read the book, you're going to see this at the end of the book, because this is how I 
mostly end every podcast or every interview that I do because it's so important. This work is easy, E-E-E-E-E-Z-Z-Z-Z-Z. It's easy. It's accessible. It's lovely. It is not painful. It is joyful. And it is powerful. If you have any doubts, buy the book, do a practice or two, and see. Because the people that doubt this end up being my biggest cheerleaders in the end. Mm -hmm. This work works for everyone because we are all made of energy. And all of the issues that are in your life right now are resonating on some level with this energy. And when you can start to speak to it, you can really start to resolve things. So that's what I like to say. This work is easy. Don't be afraid. Don't be, um, yeah, don't be afraid of it. Even if it seems a little outside of your comfort zone. I guarantee you that the energy that you are using right now to just stay in your life with all of the stresses and all of the traumas and all of the pressures, that takes so much more energy than grab the book, do a practice or two, and the feedback loop that you're going to get just in terms of increasing your general wellspring of energy, that's the least that you're going to get from this. Imagine that. The least you're going to get is more energy. So check it out. It's easy. We're here to support you. My hope is that everyone on the planet gets this book. We all heal our trauma. We heal the trauma of the planet. And we can all just show up and play mm -hmm. together. Everybody. That's my big dream. You asked it. There it is. I love that. I love that dream. Let's help Lauren and all of us lift off that heavy energetic energy and yeah bring and when you did that i was like oh i want to do that too if you're listening i'm stretching my arms up and overhead and i'm imagining letting go of the weight of the world that i sometimes carry on my shoulders so thank you lauren for inspiring me thank you for showing up sharing your wisdom and your grace with us i so appreciate you thank you thank you tessa it's been really a pleasure to speak with you that concludes another amazing episode of outside the studio i hope you enjoyed yourself i hope you learned something new maybe remembered something old maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life my <laughs> you can hear my dog in the background she's doing a little happy dance um so daisy enjoyed it Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic musical genius Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show. Only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks you guys. You make my world go around. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better 
um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.